It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I have been grappling with one of the great existential questions of all time, and it's this. Why does Donald Trump, who is out of office, get so much more media coverage than Joe Biden, who is president of the United States? And I think this will encapsulate it in one small, tight, interesting comparison. The other day, the former president of the United States was talking to a GOP donor retreat in Palm Beach. Washington Post has the inside scoop on it. And he's going on and on. He's ragging on Nancy and Chuck as being maniacs. It's all phony S, he says. Russia was phony. Okay. And then he says the following, seemingly out of the blue. I'm not into golden showers. You know, the great thing, our great first lady kind of trailed off that one. I don't believe that one. Joe Biden is talking about supply chain. Donald Trump is talking about golden showers. I rest my case. Now, for those of you, for the three or four of you out there who don't get the reference, this was a rumor that has been repeated ad infinitum, ad nauseum. Never proven. I don't think there's anything to it. That, that, you know, there's always this question when Trump was president, what did the Russians have on him? And it was that supposedly when he went uh, to Russia, maybe if it was for one of his Miss Universe contests or something, that the Kremlin has uh, like hotel tape of him with uh, a couple of women. And let's just say like what would be a, a non-NSFW uh, way of uh, putting it. Um, urination for sexual pleasure. Here, how's that? Now, you would think, I mean, this must have really bugged Trump because he's bringing it up to this crowd of donors. You know, usually the rule in politics is when you don't want, you know, even though there were no reporters there and it's leaked out, maybe didn't think it would get out, but usually the rule in politics is you don't talk about something that you don't want everyone else to talk about. You don't give it uh, any traction. You don't give it any oxygen. So why on earth would he be bringing up this years-old rumor, never proven, and nobody's thinking about it, but Donald Trump is thinking about it? And by the way, the supply chain is really important. Biden gave a speech on it, and it's going to affect whether we can get all our Christmas presents come December. And, you know, I'm not minimizing the importance of it, but it's just sort of, you know, Biden always does the meat and potatoes. Let me give a speech now about the latest figures on COVID. And Trump is like, yeah, Chuck and Nancy, they're maniacs. And by the way, uh, I'm on the golden showers. All right. San Francisco Giants won 107 games this year and just lost the playoffs to the 106-win Los Angeles Dodgers. Two to one game, the fifth game in the five-game series, by two to one. And in fact, uh, the final out I read was Giant player standing there and checked his swing. Strike three. You know, if, if I was up there and, and I struck out, I could live with that. If I hit a ground ball and was out, I could live with that. I would never be able to forget checking my swing on a cold third strike. Uh, great rivalry dating back to when those two teams were in Brooklyn and Manhattan, L.A. and San Francisco. And uh, big win for the Dodgers. I think the Giants were favored. Uh, so they now advance to the next round. Bill Clinton in the hospital. I saw that headline. I was like, oh, uh-oh, it's not what I think it is. And no, it's not. He's in the hospital for a non-COVID-related infection out in California. I was listening to um, a couple of news reports on this. And while the former president seems to be getting better, he's up and around. Uh, I certainly wish him well. 
Um, this looked like it was potentially serious. He was in the ICU. Um, he had some kind of urinary infection that became a larger infection. Uh, and those things can go the wrong way. So I'm glad he got treatment. It seems like it's not going the wrong way. But, you know, there was this story put out that he was really in the ICU for privacy. I mean, that may be true, but it, it does. It was nothing to sneeze at. And glad it's not of the more serious variety. Interesting comments here from Justice Sonia Sotomayor talking about gender. I guess this was at an NYU law school forum. She's quoted as saying, most of the time women say things and they are not heard in the same way as men who might say the identical thing. Um, And she was saying that recent changes in the form of oral arguments, which is what the Supreme Court does, were put into place after studies showing that female justices on the high court were interrupted more by male justices and advocates. That's got to be frustrating. You're on the highest court in the land and you keep getting cut off. Uh, she cited one story from, uh, study from 2017 saying this had an enormous impact and led to John Roberts being much more sensitive to ensuring people were not interrupted or that he would play referee. So the chief justice to the rescue. Uh, and there's another point here where Sotomayor said, well, you know, when I kept getting interrupted, I didn't necessarily deal with it in the best way. I would interrupt back. And my feeling is good for you. You know, I'm not going to cut you off. You just talk right back. Okay. I want to talk about this three-hour interview. Joe Rogan, the most popular podcaster on the planet, and CNN's Sanjay Gupta. I talked about this on Fox News yesterday. It is just a fascinating moment. Absolutely fascinating. Now, Joe Rogan uh, got COVID. He actually said in this interview that he was going to get vaccinated, but then something happened and he couldn't get there. And look, that was months ago. Obviously, he felt really strongly about it. He would have found a way to get the shot. But the point he was making was that he was not anti-vaccine. But Rogan said quite publicly once he got COVID that he was taking a number of things, including, you know, antibody treatment and ivermectin. Now, ivermectin is controversial for the following reason. And this has to be part of the discussion. It's fine. The Food and Drug Administration says it is completely and totally ineffective for COVID-19. At the same time, you know, it, it, is, it is most famous, I guess, the animal version of it is used in horses and other animals as a dewormer. I'm not going to go into the details of that. And the, some people who have gotten the treatment, and by the way, Joe Rogan's doctor was willing to prescribe the ivermectin. This is the human version of the drug. And he says it helped. Uh, medical, many medical experts say it doesn't. But it is a drug that won uh, a team of scientists the Nobel Prize because of its effectiveness against malaria. Well, you know, drugs are effective for one thing, not another. Anyway, um, Joe Rogan went off on Sanjay, who, of course, is CNN's chief medical correspondent. Now, Sanjay didn't have to do this. I give him credit for going into the lion's den. Sanjay is not the one who insulted Rogan on CNN. It was Don Lemon and a couple of other people who said, oh, the guy's taking horse dewormer. And if you, I, I, some of the clips that have been played that don't do it justice, because you could go on and on and on and on and on, and that's what you could do on a podcast. Don't worry, I'm not going to go three hours today. It's Friday. I'm sure you want to go on and do other things. Hope you got a good weekend coming up, by the way. And as long as I'm pausing for the uh, self-promo, 
working on Media Buzz for Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox. Brett Baer will be joining me among other very good guests. So here is just a little bit of the excerpt. Rogan says to Sanjay Gupta, they're lying at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for veterinary. Gupta says, look, calling in a horse dewormer is not the most flattering thing. I get that. Rogan, it's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. Rogan, a couple minutes later, does it bother you that the network you work for out and out lie, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? Gupta, they shouldn't have said that. Rogan, why did they do that? Gupta, I don't know. I mean, he was in an impossible position. He wasn't the one who had used the language, and he didn't want to throw his colleagues under the bus. He didn't know exactly what had been said. So a lot of it was just like, I don't know. You have a point. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, and Rogan would not let up. All very civil, by the way. There was no yelling and screaming like I'm doing now. But, you know, how, doesn't this raise questions about if, if, if CNN lies about me, how do we know they're not lying about Russia? How do we know they're not lying about just about everything? He went on and on and on. He was pissed off. And Sanjay hung in there. And then Sanjay later talked about it on CNN and said, look, I wanted to talk about vaccines. And I figure, you know, if I got to a few listeners of the podcast who could change their mind about vaccines, then it's worth doing. But I got to tell you, you know, I don't like always to go to the boxing analogy, but Sanjay ended up battered and bloodied in this thing. And if it was a fight, they would have stopped it. Um, and look, it's no secret why some of the pundits on CNN were, were mocking Joe Rogan. They don't like his politics. And they were using him as a punching bag. But to do that after he got COVID and then not report that he tested negative five days later, it really kind of comes off as callous. There's no other way for me to put it. You know, you can go, you can talk all you want about vaccine misinformation and ivermectin misinformation, and here's what the FDA says, and on and on. That's all fair game. But when a guy is sick, uh, if you pile on in that way, oh, you know, there's always the, the caveat, well, you know, we hope he gets better. But what's he doing taking horse dewormer? And here Rogan had a chance to fight back. And, you know, what's unusual here is that Joe Rogan, who has 200 million monthly listeners on Spotify for his podcast, which makes him bigger, a bigger audience than any, any cable show, as far as I can do the math. Um, he had a platform to fight back. You know, if you, I mean, if you're a politician or somebody, you have your own platform. But most people can't hit back at CNN. And what he was able to do, and again, I give Sanjay credit, for doing this three-hour interview, I don't think I'd want to be in the ring for, with Rogan for three hours. I would like to go on his show someday. I think he's an interesting guy. You know, the reason he's so popular is he comes on, he curses, he says I'm a moron. In fact, during an early, I've talked about this, during an earlier round when he said, you know, if you're young and healthy, you don't need to necessarily go out and get the vaccine. He got hammered and he kind of walked it back and he said, I'm an effing moron. Well, people like that. He doesn't pretend to be an expert in everything. Um, but I think there's a lesson here, that, and that lesson is that tone matters. Mocking people matters. And by the way, these weren't, you know, commentators doing this. Well, Don Lemon is a commentator, but some of them were news hosts and news anchors. So that's generated an awful lot of attention. All right, in a little more serious vein, we have the House Select Committee on January 6th. Tangling with a number of... Uh, 
Trump-related witnesses to which the panel, dominated, dominated by Democrats, of course, has issued subpoenas. And yesterday, this House committee announced that it will move to hold Steve Bannon in criminal contempt for not cooperating. They're talking to other people, Mark Meadows, who at least they're talking about the possibility of cooperation. Bannon's like, screw you, I ain't doing this, I'm not coming in, I'm not testifying. Now, Bannon, as you recall, uh, first of all, I don't know how much, I mean, he has been in contact with Donald Trump and probably was in the events leading up to January 6th, but for a long time, and they were totally on the outs, Bannon served eight months uh, as a senior advisor in the White House, and they had a big falling out, and Trump was off about sloppy Steve, you know, almost anybody, you know, you look at them all, Corey Lewandowski, and on and on, who gets expelled from Trump's inner circle at some point, somehow, some way, comes back. And Bannon, of course, um, ended up getting indicted and then pardoned by President Trump. And so I think he's just not very worried about this. Uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, chairman of the committee, said, look, the committee will use every tool at its disposal to get the information it seeks, and witnesses who try to stonewall the select committee will not succeed. So what they can do is they kick it over to the Justice Department, and they say this is criminal contempt. You can also pursue civil contempt. And the Justice Department could charge Bannon. I don't know if that will happen. He could be put in jail until he agrees to cooperate. Uh, you know, is his testimony that crucial? On the other hand, you know, if, if everybody can just blow off congressional subpoenas, then nobody's going to cooperate with this investigation. And, you know, I'm, as, as partisan as it has turned out to be, look, Pelosi wanted a bipartisan commission. Kevin McCarthy didn't. You remember the whole history. Um, the, the idea of making it criminal does give me some pause. Members of the committee are saying they believe the Biden Justice Department will assist their efforts to investigate what happened with the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Um, you know what? The press loves investigations, just loves them. And this is true in any context, because there's a sort of a narrative that goes on. Well, when will the subpoenas be issued? And will this witness flip? Remember, you know, remember the investigation of the Trump Organization? And finally, the CFO, Alan Weisselberg was charged. He hasn't turned on his former boss, Donald Trump. I mean, how much ink did that get? Uh, the Russia investigation, every, you know, it went on and on and on and on and on. What will Mueller do? And what if they find this? And if they get these documents and they're going to bring in Don Jr.? I mean, it just became this running story. So even when nothing was happening, you know, you could lead cable news segments with it. And that's what I'm seeing today. Every time I turn on MSNBC, the January 6th committee is at or near the top of the, uh, of the hour. And, I, you know, I think that what happened, the attack on the Capitol, the riot that took place is so important that it should be investigated. Is the committee going to use this to sort of, you know, beat up not just on the former president, but his former aides and allies? Yeah, a lot of politics involved here. But the press is just breathless over this, and, you know, even when nothing's really happening. And I don't know if in the end Steve Bannon has any information that's really relevant or, or Mark Meadows, but, you know, you can understand why the committees want to talk to him. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Uh, all right. Uh, piece in the New York Times by Michelle Cottle, opinion piece, former colleague of mine, about Kirsten Cinema. And whether or not she should or would stay with the Democratic Party. Now, this is the danger. 
because, you know, you have uh, uh, much of the Democratic Party now allied against her because she is one of two senators, along with Joe Manchin, who won't go along with the $3.5 trillion spending bill. And she doesn't, you know, uh, you know the worst thing about Kirsten Sinema is she won't go on television shows and explain her position. How dare she? Senator Sinema, you should come on my show. All right. Um, in the past, people have uh, either stopped working with their parties or change parties, Arlen Specter, Jim Jeffords. When Jim Jeffords flipped, it gave, in the beginning of the George W. Bush administration, it gave the Republicans control of the Senate in the middle of the term. So, you know, in a 50-50 Senate, the Dems better be careful. Ben Nighthouse-Campbell, Richard Shelby, Strom Thurmond, all changing parties at one point in their career. So Michelle Connell writes that, look, look what's happening to her. She's being chased into the bathroom. The Arizona Democratic Party has threatened the vote of no confidence. Uh, she's been besieged by protesters. Um, Democratic colleagues are slagging her in the media. Her poll numbers are down in Arizona. Um, Connell says that what's driving the Dems crazy is her inscrutability. She won't actually lay out what she doesn't like about the Build Back Better Act. Uh, she says she's told the White House and her colleagues privately. Um, her critics have ascribed her behavior to narcissism, opportunism, and obeisance to corporate interests. Maybe she should just get out of the party. But Michelle Cobble comes up with an interesting point. She could just become an independent, like Angus King, like Bernie Sanders, like uh, Joe Lieberman back in the day when he couldn't win renomination as a Democrat uh, in Connecticut. And by the way, on the Republican side, you have, people forget this, but you have Lisa Murkowski, who's independent. She could still caucus with the Democrats. And, 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 and the column says, well, look, the logistics would be a nightmare. While open relationships sound great in theory, they can be excruciating to navigate. Is this the point where I bring up that Kirsten Cinema is bisexual? I, I'm just saying that because she got a lot of press when she was elected as the first openly bisexual member of the United States Senate. So open relationship. Uh, cinema has a better shot than most at surviving such a shift, but also becoming a truly independent force to be reckoned with, maybe even a power broker. Well, she's a power broker now. Uh, interesting suggestion. Seems to me that the more worrisome outcome is she says the hell with it. But then does she go back and run for re-election in Arizona as a Republican? I mean, she's not a conservative. She's just a conservative Democrat, or so much more conservative than AOC, much more conservative than Bernie, much more conservative than Elizabeth, certainly more conservative than Joe Biden right now. So uh, she's become an interesting story. Also in the news, you know, we talked in recent days and weeks, you've seen this all over, uh, Donald Trump sort of ratcheting up his rhetoric. See, here I am back to talking about Donald Trump, because Joe Biden hasn't made any news lately. Yesterday, gave a speech about uh, COVID, talked about some progress in, uh, on the vaccination front. I'll get to vaccinations in a moment. And then he turned and walked off Well, reporters shouted questions. He does that a lot. Now, look, all presidents do that sometimes, okay? Donald Trump even did it occasionally. But more often, he talked to reporters three, four, five times a day in the Oval Office pool spray, at the helicopter, on the plane, uh, or, you know, at a, informal news conferences, that sort of thing. Made a lot of news. Made a lot of news attacking the press. The press made a lot of news attacking him. 
It was um, a codependent relationship. Hey, Joe Biden, when I knew him back in the day as a senator and even as VP, he loved to talk to reporters. I mean, just when you, he would shoot the breeze. You know, he loved to talk. He's trying to be disciplined. When he gives a speech, he wants the lead to be what he said and not um, him getting annoyed at a reporter. You know what really annoys Biden is when a reporter says, uh, how confident are you that you'll be able to get this deal? Or how confident are you that you can get your way with Putin? And he always he bristles as that. He's asking them to, him to predict the future. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> you know, I've got 48 senators. I need to get two more. How confident am I? So sometimes he just gets annoyed and it shows. Sometimes he stumbles or gives an answer he didn't intend to and it shows. But Trump, you know, who also could wander off script, but he didn't care. He would just double down, triple down, or come back the next day. I mean, you know, he, he knew how to drive the news agenda. That's what Biden is not doing now. And I think it's hurting him. Anyway, here's this Washington Post story saying Trump in the past week has threatened electoral defeat for Republicans who dismiss his election falsehoods, inserted himself into the Virginia governor's race, to the delight of Democrats, and promised to root out disloyal GOP officials in primaries in Arizona and Michigan. Former president is leaving no corner of the party untouched as he moves to assert his dominance. His stepped-up efforts create a conundrum, I love that word, conundrum for many of the party strategists and lawmakers who believe they could have a banner election year in 2022 if they keep the focus on Biden and his agenda. They don't want Trump talking about this stuff. Republicans say this privately. Many Republicans say this privately. Most of them don't say it publicly. They don't want to get on Trump's S list. They don't want him coming after them. They don't want him supporting a primary opponent. And, you know, this really crystallized when Trump sent out one of his statements to reporters the other day. If we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, Republicans will not be voting in 22 or 24. It's the single most important thing for Republicans to do. So he's saying, siding with him on this rigged election, the stolen election, despite the fact that there is no solid evidence of substantial fraud, I always feel the need to point this out, um, is the single most important issue when Republicans would like to make Joe Biden the most important issue and Joe Biden's dealings with the border the most important issue and the economy and inflation the most important issue and the failure to get COVID under control the most important issue. Uh, and, you know, a lot of Republicans blame Trump for the loss of those two Georgia Senate seats that gave the Democrats nominal control of 50-50 because he went down and said, in effect, he, he kept talking about the stolen election in a way that made many Georgia Republicans say, well, you know, why bother to show up and vote in this special election? In this same um, donor retreat that I mentioned earlier, Trump, according to the Post, said it was a dying party. I'll be honest. Now we have a very lively party. He railed against Republicans who spoke negatively about him, including Romney, including Sass, and urged the party to stick together. They, the Democrats, cheat like hell. They stick together. Republican Party has to stick together. Well, Donald Trump's uh, definition of sticking together means supporting him. All right. Um, let me go to a different op-ed now in the New York Times uh, by somebody who often writes about COVID. It has an interesting take. Almost 95% of those over 65 in the U.S. have received at least one dose of the vaccine. I didn't know that. That's a remarkable number, this piece says, given that that's, you know, the most vulnerable age group. 
and heavily represented amongst Fox News viewers. You can't have an op-ed in the Times without taking a shot at Fox. Okay, um, so the point of this piece is, why don't people get vaccinated? And by the way, there are still 65 million Americans who have not. That's better than the 80 million. Uh, maybe it's going in the right direction. So in a poll in September, 72% of the unvaxxed said they would quit their jobs if they were forced to be vaccinated for work. But when it really came down to it, not so much. United Airlines mandated vaccines, only 232 holdouts among 67,000 employees. When uh, 10,000 employees in state-operated healthcare facilities in North Carolina were given this choice, only 16 were fired for non-compliance. So the author goes on to say that it's not ideology, you know, because the standard thing is it's conservatives, it's Republicans, they love Trump, they don't want to get vaccinated. Actually, it's about trusting institutions. So according to surveys, 71% of the vaccinated trust hospitals and doctors a lot. Only 39% of the unvaccinated do. Relentless propaganda against public health measures no doubt contributes to the erosion of trust, says this Times op-ed. However, it may also be fueled by the sorry state of health insurance in this country. And this is the most fascinating point. Uh, Kaiser Family Foundation poll. The biggest single indicator of those not getting vaccinated is the lack of health insurance. All right, a couple other things as we wrap up here on this Friday. Andrew McCabe, former deputy director of the FBI, who uh, was forced out by Donald Trump, um, has won his case. Uh, he's actually was technically fired by Jeff Sessions back in 2018. And he was fired hours before he was going to retire, which left him without a pension. Well, there was a ruling now saying that McCabe gets his pension and he will go down as having retired and not resigned. Uh, so it's a victory for him. By the way, though, I mean, let's keep in mind, McCabe was fired because the inspector general of DOJ found he had misled internal investigators about his involvement in a leak to the media. So not necessarily a Boy Scout, but, you know, it did seem really punitive to take away his pension, you know, hours before he would have gotten it. Uh, so McCabe, now a CNN contributor, saying this was clearly an act of vindication against the perceived political enemy. Uh, and he's hailing this, and he says, you know, he still feels worried. Okay, so he won his case. Um, finally, well, let me mention one thing. The Squid Game. This apparently is the hottest thing on Netflix. I don't know anything about it. I haven't checked it out. Is this the kind of thing where i got to learn about it so I won't be totally out of step with the culture? Is the Squid Game all that great? I don't know. I'll come back to you if I feel I must become a squid expert. But big, big battle at Netflix now over Dave Chappelle's special, The Closer. And you probably know the background, which is there are a lot of jokes about trans people. They are very offended. Uh, many of them complain to the bosses at Netflix. Uh, a couple were fired. One was reinstated after a suspension. Uh, over crashing a virtual meeting. And these people are not giving up, uh, and neither are the bosses. Uh, so employees who are very angry at Netflix for standing by Dave Chappelle, who, you know, his defenders say, look, he, you know, he does this kind of humor, he makes fun of everybody, uh, trans aren't the only people. Uh, and, you know, depends on whether you like Chappelle, whether you think this goes too far. I mean, comedy often walks a fine line. Um and so some people say this is totally transphobic, what he's saying. And other people say, this is pure PC run amok. 
you know, uh, and anybody who comedians make fun of, or, you know, some of the people are going to be offended. Anyway, uh, some Netflix employees are talking about a virtual walkout on October 20th, kind of symbolic. Uh, some are using the internal Slack channel to air their grievances. Bloomberg reports that one leader of Netflix's transgender employee group wrote on Slack, our leadership has shown us they do not uphold the values for which we are held. I encourage us to stay clearly that we as Netflix employees are stunning, not simply when we are doing the work that our roles demand of us, but also when we challenge the very principles of our company. Now, Ted Serranos, the co-CEO, came out and said, look, Dave Chappelle has a right to speak his mind on Netflix. Quote, some talent may join third parties in asking us to remove the show in the coming days, which we are not going to do. Chappelle is one of the most popular stand-up comedians today, and we have a long-standing deal with him. As with our other talent, we work hard to support their creative freedom. Even though this means there will always be content on Netflix that some people believe is harmful. And that sort of encapsulates the debate. You know, it's kind of like the uproar at the New York Times when Tom Cotton had that op-ed about urban violence. Is there, except it's in the realm of comedy and Netflix is an, above all an entertainment conglomerate. By the way, nobody's forced to click on this. It's not over the air. You, if you subscribe to Netflix and you see Chappelle, you can say, I don't want any part of that. If you do like him, you do like his humor, and you don't think he's transphobic, you can click on it. So ultimately, you know, we used to say in television, people vote with their remote controls. Well, now they vote with their mouse. And that's sort of the bottom line here. Look, maybe the heat will get so great they will change their minds, as the editors of the New York Times did in firing the editorial page editor for running this online op-ed by a Republican senator. But these are the controversies that sort of dominate these days. Once again, hope you have a good weekend coming up. We're going to have a really good show on Media Buzz. I don't like to plug it all the time. All right, I like to plug it a little bit. But Brett Baer joins me, uh, a whole bunch of other uh, good people, good topics. I hope I'll see you then. And we'll be back here Monday with more BuzzFeed. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.